Welcome to Main Street Banking, a podcast for community bankers brought to you by the Barrett School of Banking and ICBA Securities. My name is Byron Earnhardt, and I'm the Programming Director at Barrett. It is our mission here to serve the community banking industry with information that is informative, relevant, and hopefully we'll have a little fun along the way. So, from Memphis, Tennessee, home of banking, blues, and barbecue, welcome to our little corner of the community banking world. And we hope that we can make your bank, your staff, or maybe just even your day a better one. Number seven, risk awareness drives demand for more practical risk assessment models. How'd we do there? We are, well, we're certainly seeing uh, the number of risk assessments required by the regulators. That continues to grow. And it also, though, we're seeing a lot of banks that maybe have been doing uh, the Gramm-Leach-Bliley Act information security risk assessment the same way for 20 years. Now they're figuring out, hey, that might be time we updated this model or looked at other models or other approaches. And we're seeing, obviously, changes to cybersecurity risk assessments and ransomware self-assessment tests and others like that. So I always say if someone asks me what's the benefit of a risk assessment, I say it's one word, awareness. Yeah. And so we need that awareness. We need that awareness of current threats, awareness of the potential risk that's out there, and then we uh, need to know how to mitigate that risk through effective controls before the bank is blindsided. And we need audit and examiners to be able to test those controls to make sure they are in place and working as designed. So uh, risk assessments continue to help banks get ahead of the curve and not really wait for that piece of paper from the government to tell the bank what to do. As we know, that regulatory issuance is often two years behind the curve by the time it's published. So we're seeing uh, risk assessment models get uh, dusted off and updated, and I think that's a positive thing in helping bankers manage risk. And kind of tying in with the core evaluation, I would say the the best, there was a new issuance that came out this year on on third-party provider risk management, and banks are, again, taking a closer look at that, not only with fintech partnerships, but with core due diligence, too. And vendor management continues to be a hot topic, and the risk of around vendor management. A lot of banks have really, um, their vendor management has become out of control. So we help a lot of banks in that area really have a a practical approach to uh, vendor management. And I always say the best vendor management is not signing a bad contract in the first place. So that's where the (laughs) evaluation comes into play. You know, let's let's sign a, a contract that's got the right terms, the right pricing you feel good about. But then let's manage that vendor relationship going forward, but let's don't under-comply or over-comply. Let's hit it in the sweet spot. Yes, we're going to do an annual financial review. We're going to look at the SOC reports. We're going to do a risk assessment. Let's do that by application, not just by vendor, right? I don't know about mobile banking, document imaging, you know, peer-to-peer payments, core, all of that. Mm-hmm. But let's do that in a practical way where you're not going to have to go out and hire additional people just to feed an automated vendor management system. So we've helped a lot of banks in that area, too, put in a practical vendor management system that does what it needs to do but doesn't, uh, uh, you know, increase overhead in the bank. It's a very efficient process. And I think that ties in with the core evaluations, with the uh, 
the, the risk awareness and the more practical risk assessment models. So we're always happy to help banks become more efficient because I think the average bank is going to have to continue to improve that efficiency ratio, continue to uh, get overhead down in order to compete uh, going into 2024 and beyond. Yes. Uh, number 20, no, <laughs> let's give her, uh, repeating what you last heard. Prediction eight, uh, BMOs, banks and marketing only. I love that. BMOs get regulated and educated. Uh, the next two or three, the, the next three I'm really excited to hear about. I'm, I'm, I know I know you're going to go on those. Where? What about these BMOs? Well, I, I was trying to yeah, coin a new uh, term there, BMOs, but yeah, banks yeah. and marketing only. I like it. Uh, it's, uh, it, I, again, it's one of those things, Byron, that I, you know, we know how hard it is to get a bank charter, and we know right. uh, through, you know, your your clients, our clients, you know, we've, we've helped a lot of de novo banks over the years, mm -hmm. and we know the regulatory scrutiny and everything they have to go through. So how a non-bank, you know, a software company can provide banking services with very little opposition or regulation or mm -hmm. any type of, it, it's, it's continued to confuse me. I, you know, it's a loophole that I think might be, you know, closed here in, in the coming years, especially as we see some of these neo-banks really not doing too well. Right. So I think, when I say that uh, these BMOs are going to get regulated and educated, I think a lot of them now, the, the regulators, again, who are sometimes a couple of years behind the curve, no disrespect to them, but they have to put things out for public comment and, you know, mm -hmm. wait. And it's a slower process in Washington sometimes than it is out in the real world. So now right. I think they're catching up and saying, wait a minute, if you're going to be introducing Bank Secrecy Act issues, uh, you know, po possibly money flowing into the bank, supporting what, terrorist financing or tax evasion or drug trafficking or whatever. And then also, if we're, uh, you know, if we have a lot of you know foreign business coming in, we have OFAC issues to look at. So there's a lot of where these banks and marketing only, especially if they're being back to banking as a service, if they're being processed by a traditional bank. Right. There's a lot of risk there that hasn't been managed properly. And so, yes, they might have been paying fees, but then, again, now we're seeing the financial stability of some of these. Uh, it's getting a little tough, right, again, because the cost of capital has gone up, and, and we're seeing uh, the investors really say, hey, okay, I want to return now. I want to I see some performance. You know, you promised this good game, but – you know, now you're not doing anything any different than what a traditional bank's doing. You know, you're you're providing uh, a mobile banking application and a debit card. Every traditional bank in America can do the same thing. So, right. what's your what's your niche? What, how are you differentiating yourself from other financial services companies? I mean, these are like Shark Tank 101 questions, right? Mm -hmm. So. A, a lot of those banks, and I'm not going to name any names. We know who they are, but. Yeah. You know, the ones that don't have a charter that really have to call themselves software companies legally, uh, they are in for a rude awakening. And a lot of those, the, their stock performance and, and uh, investors are leaving them. And then even the ones that are digital-only banks that got a, a full-blown bank charter, they are also having trouble uh, with the, the cost of uh, – 
customer acquisition. Mm-hmm. That is something that is uh, hitting them all. So uh, when you when you look at um, kind, of, kind of our next topic, you know, when you look at their efficiency, it's not always as good as you think it would be. So so they're again they they're getting regulated, which I think is long overdue because I hate to see one of my community bank clients held to a higher standard than a bank that is providing many of the same services. I don't think that's fair. I don't think that's good business. I don't think that's how the banking industry should operate. Mm-hmm. But then again, they're getting educated too that uh, there's, a, there's a cost. When you're doing full-service banking, there is, there is a cost there that has to be paid, and uh, a lot of them are um, not doing too well in that area. No, uh, you know, there, there's a reason for – we may not like them – but there are some reasons for some of those regulations and, and that sort of thing. And if at some point, I hate to say this, but at some point, if you're going to play outside of the, the, the fence, you know, if you're going to run outside the fence where bad stuff can happen, uh, you know, terrorist money, BSAH, those things can bite you. And if you're not, if you don't have to play by the same rules and you're not engaging in some of the same uh, risk management practices, you're going to get hit and it's going to be detrimental to your business. And, you know, that that's the reason why banks are good at what we do. You mentioned the efficiency, so I'll, let's go right there. Number nine, efficiency remains an elusive concept. <laughs> well stated. Efficiency remains an elusive concept for digital-only banks. Exactly. And <laughs> when we, you know, we've been told that, that a digital-only bank is going to outperform a traditional bank because they, you know, they're using technology and and they don't have as much overhead. They don't have certainly don't have the people. Uh, they don't have the FTE that is always, you know, the, the biggest expense there. Um, so I I have long advocated, like I said in the article last year, for digital two banks, right? Digital two, T O O. But I think again traditional bank can do anything that a digital only bank is doing and I think they have a distinct competitive advantage the digital two banks over the digital only banks because they can leverage digital services too and really beat the digital banks at their own game so as I noted in the article in the predictions last year you know we we saw that some of these digital banks that are held up as these great examples and models of efficiency it's just not true when you look at the numbers so that is the good thing about the banks that do have charters we get to see their call report right so we (laughs) can look at that so so when you look at uh there's a bank called quantic and i I think they got some cool things going on they got like a, a debit card that uh it works with a ring on your finger it's interesting but uh quantic bank you know last year they had a their efficiency ratio was uh, 214.71. So, uh, for those of you list, for those of you listening and you're not familiar with the efficiency ratio, that means that bank is spending about two dollars and fifteen cents to generate one dollar of revenue. So, listen to that again. <laughs> They're spending. <laughs> you heard two, it right. Listen to it again. Yeah. <laughs> two dollars, two dollars and fifteen cents to generate a dollar of revenue. That's not a sustainable business model, a Varro bank, again, fully chartered bank, their efficiency ratio is 324.69% was last year. So again, they're spending right at $3 and a quarter to generate $1 of revenue. Mm. So again, that's just not sustainable. There has to be a lot more efficiency. And where you're going to get the efficiency, and this is where they're struggling, uh, Byron, 
most of their accounts are very low balance accounts. Okay, mm-hmm. uh, it's you know fifty, a hundred dollars or whatever. Where the average community bank has a much higher average balance, and that's why they're able to perform better. So again, I showed you. You know, one one bank they're spending three dollars and twenty five cents to generate a dollar revenue. Another one spending two dollars and fifteen cents. When the at the community bank median efficiency ratio last year was 65%. Uh, so again, spending 65 cents to generate a dollar of revenue is better than spending $3.25 <laughs> to generate a dollar of revenue. So, and high-performing banks, as you and I know, do much better than the 65%. Right. And again, some of those can offer more digital services, streamline more business processes to get that 65 on down into the 50s and maybe even the 40s. So something that you know, our friends at Seafried and Brew and Veligan uh, Blacksaw Consultants, Jamie Sumner and my friend Dr. Ed Seafried, you know, we work with them to get some of this research sometimes. Um, as they know, the digital banks also tend to have a higher cost of interest-bearing deposits. Mm-hmm. And so that really doesn't bode well for them in, in a rising interest rate environment. So again, just back to what my job is in the banking industry, and that is to speak the truth. And so the efficiency you hear about is simply just not true with a lot of these uh, digital banks. They're actually doing worse than traditional banks. Yeah. Um, you know, and I thought they were supposed to just completely upend the entire banking model. Jimmy, wasn't that what we heard for so long? <laughs> hasn't hasn't happened that way. Some of them are doing well. I don't want to be completely negative, but some of them are some of them are doing fairly well. But again, yeah. a lot of the ones that you know, it's more marketing than performance. Yep, I'm going to go with BMO. I like. I'm I'm going to. We're going to make BMO stick, Jimmy. I like that term. Yeah. Um, name, last, name your next dog that for me. I will. Yeah, I will. Uh, I'll do that. Last one, and I, uh, it's a great, great one to end on. Ransomware will remain the top cybersecurity threat. That's still. I the wish case. I had been wrong on that one. Yeah, I was going to say. I hate to say, were you right? That's not a good. You know. Yeah, I, and and it's not just banking that has suffered too. I mean, yeah. we saw recently a pretty big uh, hospital system, and uh, they got hit pretty hard. And you know, it, it gets. Uh, it gets real when you have cancer patients that haven't had their treatment in 12 days because of a ransomware attack on the systems. You know, the systems in the hospital, they can't schedule, they can't do these things. So these right. are, again, life and death situations sometimes. And in banks, we have continued to see ransomware attacks. A lot of banks are doing a good job of mitigating that risk, but no bank is hack-proof. No system is hack-proof with enough time and resources. Uh, the bad guys can get to you sometimes. So we've yeah. seen many examples in 2023, and we've helped you know a lot of banks, uh, you know, mostly on the mitigation side, I'm glad to say, not become easy targets. But then there have been a few that uh, have been hit, and in those cases, um, it's uh, not a happy day. And some of those banks, you know, we've seen some of the examples. Some handled the ransomware attacks well. Mm-hmm. Uh, some handled them very poorly, and they're going to pay that price for years to come and lost customer confidence, loss of credibility in the marketplace. So, you know, my advice to bankers is always, you know, one, are, 
how susceptible are you to that? So are you having a good IT audit? Are you having a good cybersecurity assessment to really someone to come in and do the vulnerability scanning, you know, shake the doors and, and see if we can get into the vault and that kind of thing, you know, to see uh, how susceptible your network is to an attack. So that's number one. So spend, spend the money and engage qualified firms to come in and help you determine your level of cybersecurity preparedness, especially in the area of ransomware attacks. But then if all else fails and your controls you know, don't work or the bad guys circumvent those, what do you do? And do yeah. you have adequate insurance coverage? Not just insurance coverage is going to cover the cost of calling me or your attorney, or, but will it cover a ransomware payment? And so we have seen ranges from you know, ransom demands of 500000 to $2 million. So let's say that happens with your bank, and this is the other thing we help these banks do is go through the, this scenario analysis, an incident tabletop test, we call it. So here's the scenario, you know, Sunday afternoon, you're hit. You're not going to be able to open the bank on Monday morning unless you pay the ransom and get the code back to unlock your network restore from an uninfected backup, or just kiss your data goodbye and start rebuilding from scratch, which is, in most banks, it's going to take at least a month to rebuild the network. That's just not realistic. That's why you go right. through these scenarios. So in some cases, I think bankers have to look at this like, have you ever written off a million-dollar loan? Have you ever had a, a developer go belly up and you lost a million dollars on that loan? Well, of course, you know, many have. And I think right. in some cases, I'm not, advo I'm not advocating a ransomware loss, analysis, uh, loss allowance or anything like that, but I think if it comes down to your bank is going to be either down, down for weeks or limping along for a month, and the cost might be greater than a million dollars in the long run, you have to, you have to look at um, do you pay that ransom. And so having the proper insurance coverage where that would be covered even though we're all morally against it, we hate that, it, it gets real, right? It gets real. And so if the insurance company will negotiate and pay that and then you get the keys back and you open the bank back up on, on Monday morning, that uh, might be the way to go. Now, again, every situation is different and you need to get the proper advice in these situations and, and more importantly, like I said, not make yourself an easy target. But we have seen the banks that have paid the ransom, got everything back up and going. They have fared better than some that you know, the first call was to a government agency or a PR firm, and they're like, "Yeah, don't pay the ransom. Don't, uh, you know, we're going to help you. We're going to help you do a positive PR spin on this, which is impossible." Yeah. So <laughs> those those banks those banks were. Again, a month later, they were in bad shape and uh, handled it, in in my opinion, the wrong way. And yeah. again, those, those banks, their the reputation risk was great. And again, why do people bank with you? It's trust, right? They trust you to keep their money and their information safe. And when you lose credibility, then that that bank's going to suffer for a, a lot of years. So again, ransomware is still a top cybersecurity threat. We're still seeing it in our work. A business email compromise comes in a, a close second. We've seen that leading to wire fraud in a lot of banks. So, you know, bankers, uh, 
certainly need to address this. And, and I'll say this too, uh, a lot of banks have some very qualified and really good IT people in their banks and people doing a great job running their operation every day. It's rare that the average community bank is going to have a cybersecurity expert on staff. I, I ask CEOs sometimes, I'm like, so your IT guy uh, in the past few months has become a cybersecurity expert, then why is he working for you? Yeah. And some of them think, well, that's kind of a smart aleck question. I'm like, no, that's a real question because the person's probably not a cybersecurity expert. They've probably been to some conferences. But when it comes down to handling these tough situations and especially mitigating the risk, you might want to uh, get some outside help, just like you do with your lawyers and your CPAs and others. So we have helped a lot of banks in this area and will continue to. And I'm gl always glad we get a call to help on the front end and not that call on a Sunday afternoon where <laughs> the bank has been attacked and we're in the fog of war, and it's like, do we pay the ransom, do we not pay the ransom, and we have to walk them through the different scenarios um, during that stressful time. So, again, um, that that's a top, top threat, and I hope bankers are paying attention to that and asking the tough questions of their IT staff, their providers, their IT auditors, their consultants, and that's something that we uh, certainly are available to help banks in, in that area. It's, it's very important, and it, it could it could mean back-to-life-or-death situations. It's not cancer patients, but it, it, it could mean the life or death of your bank. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Jimmy, I, I think you uh, I think you did a pretty good job again, uh, buddy, on uh, this time last year Look, uh, uh, on getting things right. Uh, uh, you did a good job, like you always do. Looking forward to seeing the 2024 one coming out soon, I'm, be I'm guessing. And... Um, why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about how they can find out more about Sawyers and Jacobs and some of the things that y'all have coming up? Sure, sure, definitely. Well, you know, one of the things in kind of closing out some of the predictions here too, you know, there, there's a lot of uh, technology solutions out there to problems that don't exist, right? So you've right. heard me say that before too. <laughs> yeah. So don't go out, don't go out and, and buy some uh widget, some technology widget that's not even in demand. I'll give you a good example of our kind of hot off the presses here, you know, like mm -hmm. personal financial management apps. You know, mm -hmm. even Intuit had a funeral for Mint recently. So yeah. Mint.com, probably the most widely used personal financial management app, it's it's gone. And now they are going to be driving some people over to Credit Karma and things like that. But banks that have gone out and spent a lot of money on whether it's peer-to-peer -peer payment apps or, or personal financial management apps, uh, they, you know, these these apps, they're, they're like the end pieces of a loaf of bread. You know, everyone touches them, but no one wants them. And so, <laughs> banks banks are paying tech providers for those touches, but uh -huh. they're getting no return on that investment. And so, don't let a salesperson tell you the lie that now that men is gone, customers will flock to a bank provided. A personal financial management app. It's just simply not true. So last year I ended my article with a, a quote from Thomas Edison who said, you know, anything that won't sell, I don't want to invent. Its sale is proof of utility and utility is success. And that right. is what should we should look at with a lot of these customer facing technologies. Let's make sure it's in demand and it's going to sell. But 
Uh, we continue to travel the nation, and I'm honored that I get to uh, teach at like the Bear Graduate School of Banking, and that we get to speak at state conventions and and really uh, give back to this great industry. That's certainly been good to, good to me uh, as a, a poor boy from West Tennessee that got hired at a community bank uh, at 19 years old and worked in the computer room of the bank, and now have my own firm where I can help banks. It's just been a dream come true. So you know we're going to be uh, in in conjunction with uh, Bear Graduate School of Banking. We've got our Bank Tech Summit coming up. Uh, in next May, and so there will be more information coming out on that on our website at SawyersJacobs.com and also on the on the Barrett website yep. there. And we uh, you know, continue to get out and try to fight the good fight and, and be a good resource and a good partner for our banks. I mean, we've got uh, one of the best teams we've ever had. We've hired a lot of uh, new people, a lot of smart people that have a passion for helping community banks and a good bedside manner on the technology side. So they, they come in, and we're very respectful, know that it's your ship, not ours, but we want to be there to give you, again, that independent, objective advice that you can uh, count on. And we've been doing that for a long time now. And, uh, guys, this, this will mark uh, uh, two more years than I want to say, me being in this business. We're, we're going <laughs> in our 15th year of having our own firm, yeah. but uh, I, I've – certainly been uh, fortunate to, to see a lot in my career and uh, but we want to get out there every day and, and stay in touch with what's going on in the marketplace with providers with the regulators and again just like updating vendor management programs doing the core evaluations and then you know our bread and butter has always been IT audits and cybersecurity assessments in banks we're in multiple banks every week doing that work and we know how important that is to keeping those banks safe and sound and keeping their customers' uh, information and funds safe. So we're going to continue to do that, too. And I always appreciate the relationship we have with the Barrett Graduate School of Banking. Yes. You guys are top-notch and do such a great job in that area. And we definitely uh, look forward to doing more joint events with you all in, in the uh, coming months and, and years. It's always yeah. a lot of fun. Always a lot of fun. Always good to talk to you, Jimmy. Um, yeah, cannot recommend uh, Sawyer's and Jacobs enough. Good uh, social follow as well if you want to stay up to date with uh, with anything in this type bank technology sphere. Definitely somebody to check out there. Jimmy, have a good one, buddy. Merry Christmas and happy Thanksgiving if I don't talk to you between now and then. Always, always a pleasure to chat with you. Same here, Byron. Merry Christmas, happy holidays. I hope you get to spend some some time with your beautiful family and uh, give my best to everybody there. I look forward to seeing you guys uh, sometime soon uh, yeah. in, in Memphis or St. Louis or, or somewhere along the river. Somewhere along the river, we will we will find a place to, to catch up. So, yes, Jimmy, same to you and your family. Look forward to, to seeing you in the future. Thanks, buddy. Thanks, Byron. Take care. All right, bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Well, that wraps up our episode for today. Thank you for listening. If you haven't already, go ahead and subscribe to the podcast so you won't miss out on the latest episode. We'd also appreciate a five-star rating as well, as that will help get the content out to more listeners. We appreciate ICBA Securities for their sponsorship, and if you would like to know more about quality investment products, services, and education at competitive prices, check out their website at icbasecurities.com. 
And finally, if you don't follow Barrett on our social media platforms, be sure to check us out on LinkedIn, Twitter, and Facebook to stay up to date with all the cool new things that we've got coming up. And as always, from Memphis, Tennessee, the home of banking, blues, and barbecue, thanks again for tuning in, and we hope you have a great day.